Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beej, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. This episode was sponsored by the PVS Studio team. It promotes static code analysis methodology in general and its PVS Studio tools in particular. Static code analyzers allow you to find bugs in source code at the development stage. This helps to reduce the price of fixing them. PVS Studio performs code analysis and issues warnings on the fragments of code with a high probability of having bugs and potential vulnerabilities in them. The tool supports C, C++, C Sharp, and Java, and it can work with Visual C++, GCC, Clang compilers, and some of those used for embedded systems. The analyzer works on Windows, Linux, and macOS. PVS Studio can both be used as a standalone tool and integrated with Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, SonarCube, and so forth. In the show notes, you can find links to the PVS Studio website and the article, Technologies Used in the PVS Studio Code Analyzer for Finding Bugs and Potential Vulnerabilities. 10x developer? What does that even mean? There's been a lot of discussion and even some controversy over the term 10x developer. Zach Burt of Code for Cash joins us to discuss what it means to be a 10x developer as well as how you can become more productive in your development career. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, as of late yesterday, I have a new job. I'm not sure if they want me to mention them on the podcast, but I do have one. So that's a lot of pressure that is kind of off of me. You know, you get nervous when you're out of work. Congratulations, man. That's really awesome. Yeah. The other thing that happened is I've gotten some very interesting views of my own growth over the last couple of weeks. So I went back and I looked at how I was organized before when I was contracting. And I don't know how I lived like that. So I've been like, <laughs> that was so far below what my baseline even is now. It was just bad. You know, over four years and some change, I mean, I've just really changed a lot, I guess. The other thing I got to do is I got to look at some VB5 code I wrote in college. Wow. Yeah. So speaking of growth, <laughs> I'm just glad I'm hoping to get to replace that soon for a client. So um, how about you, Zach? I've uh, been on a hiring spree at Code for Cash. We are mostly hiring on behalf of our clients, but we've started to expand the team internally. And people are really buying into this concept of programmers recruiting programmers. You know, I've dealt with some great recruiters in my life. I've dealt with some absolute numbskulls. They know who they are. But, you know, when a programmer, like, takes on the job, it's a lot more precise and surgical. And we've built some really awesome tooling. It's all prototyped. It's, like, duct taped together. But I'm excited about it. And it's going to enhance the process and hopefully lead to a reduction in dumb spam. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of all spam probably going to do more of it, but we're going to be really, really smart about how we spam, you know, like really personalized, really touch people by their hearts through the wires. So I'm living that dream. What an interesting day for me. My mom's out of town visiting my sister. So I've been sort of, she lives about 15 minutes away on my way into town. So I've been somewhat checking on her house the past week while she's gone. Well, the water line to the fridge busted at some point between visits to her house. And my uncle noticed it today when he went there to mow. So I get a text from my mom. Hey, have you been checking on my house? I'm like, yeah, I went by there earlier this week. I'm going to go when I get off work today. She's like, well, told me about this. She said he saw it. He was outside mowing. He saw water coming over the brick. And I panicked because I'm thinking over the brick, did it fill up so much that it was coming out the windows. Like I'm thinking her whole house flooded, stuff like that. And no, it just kind of came down through the floorboards and it wasn't really as bad as I thought. Uh, as soon as I got the text, I went over there and checked on it, but uh, that was stressful. In better news, 
the church I go to used some of my photos from worship night on their social media. That was really cool. I did good. I've been learning photography, as y'all know. My friend Alicia, that's a photographer, gave me some feedback last night on the photos and you know where I can improve, what I did good. It's really cool. It's really nice to sit down and just talk to her because sometimes a few of them were like, yeah, this is an area that I struggled with when I first got started. And so let me tell you what I did to get past it and stuff like that. Also, last Saturday, I got to jam with my guitar instructor during class. I was showing him one of the songs I'm learning to try out for the worship team. And he started playing the rhythm and then had me play lead over it. That was like the absolute best. It was just so cool. We spent the whole session just sort of jamming and him teaching me how to figure out what key the song was in and different cadences and like all sorts of like music lessons and like music theory stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And then tonight before we recorded, I was at uh, the band practice telling one of my friends about how I'm going to need to get an acoustic guitar because the one I have isn't very good and it's hard to play because the bridge is way too high. You can't really make bar chords with it. And I was like, you know, if you know anybody that's got one for sale, let me know. Well, his roommate, who's a drummer, walks up. He's like, oh, hey, but I've got a classical acoustic guitar you could borrow. He's like, the only difference is the fretboard's a little bit wider. I'm like, I'll take it. So that was cool. I got a lot going on this week, yo. School started back Monday. I'm taking discrete structures. This class is going to be legit. I already had homework from the first day of class. It's intense. Not really designed for the non-traditional students like me. Three days a week, right in the middle of the day. <laughs> I'm lucky my boss is letting me you know, take my lunch break to go do that. For example, I told the professor I would have to miss a quiz because I'm speaking at a conference. And she just looked at me like, yeah, I'm not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think I'm going to enjoy it, but it's just going to be stressful for the next few months. But uh, do y'all know that you can rent textbooks from Amazon? I did not know that until I went to go buy the book for this class and found out that I could rent it for like a third of the price. So guess what I did? But uh, speaking of books, we're going to jump on into book club. So we are continuing talking about Will's book, Surviving the Whiteboard Interview, A Developer's Guide to Using Soft Skills to Get Hired. Now, I still don't have a copy of his book. Nor do I. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we know a few people that have them, but we ourselves do not. But Will knows what he wrote. Can I just speak up here for a second? Will's book is so good that... I recently saw him soft skill his way into a new contractor job with no code nonsense, none of that. They hired him based on the strength of his soft skills. It was like, wham, bam, you're hired. So there we go. Proof's in the pudding, folks. Works. <laughs> a good sales pitch for it. <laughs> so, Will, last week we talked about how you started the book and sort of the problems with whiteboard interviews. Could you tell us a little bit about sort of the meat of the book and what you really get into there in the core of it? Well, one of the things I really push is that it is not a programming test. It's a personality test. You know, there's programming in it and you definitely have to pass the programming part of it. But the other part is that you still have to show that you can work with a team. You have to show how you work with people, how you think how organized you are, those kind of things. And a lot of people kind of miss out on that. And so I pushed that pretty hard as well. I also pushed a lot on the preparation for, you know, whiteboard test. You shouldn't do it for the first time in front of a client because you're going to be nervous and embarrassed. You know, if you remember back in the day when I was kind of training you mm -hmm. and, you know, you would do a whiteboard problem and I would chuck an eraser at the back of your head and tell you to erase that memory leak you just wrote. Well, that was kind of the point was the stress test to make it so that when you get into a real interview, nobody's going to be as big of a jerk as your friends and you're going to be better off. <laughs> problem with you doing that is when I was in the real interviews and they would ask a question, I would duck before I answered. Ah, you know, a little PTSD is good for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who's talking to us this week? 
Well, we got a comment on the boundaries between work and side hustle episode from Gadassadox. Yeah, that was the username that they put in there. The comment says, I had a side hustle while working in an offshore R&D center for a U.S.-based company. Things working good right now, and I'm glad I can make a little money off of it, although I haven't disclosed anything with my employer. That's good story time. I mean, that's probably the best way to do a side hustle, honestly. Especially if it's not interfering with your regular job. They don't need to know about it unless there is something in your contract that says you have to disclose it. But thanks for commenting and listening to the show. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. And don't worry, we won't disclose who you are to your employer either. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or you can comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. And I know I've been talking about photography. I really got to post some more on Instagram. Music City Tech is coming up. This episode will actually come out after that. So you should see some posts from MCT there where I'm going around and talking to people and getting to know some of the vendors, some of the speakers, some of the other attendees. Or you can join us anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. The concept of a 10x developer is someone that produces 10 times what others at that person's level produce. They could also be called a 10x programmer or a 10x engineer. There has been a lot of debate as to the nature of such a person or if they even exist. Some people argue that you can have a person produce 10 times the amount of code, but that it will be poor quality code full of bugs, while others state that 10x means that in the same time frame, This person will produce 10 times the usefulness or 10 times the benefit to the business. We've brought Zach Burt back on the show to talk with us about what it means to be a 10x developer and ways that you can use this concept to improve your productivity and therefore your value in the developer market. He's been programming for 20 years and consulting for 10 years and really loves programming. Over the years, he has worked for large companies and startups in both individual contributor and leadership roles. He is passionate about open source, both in submitting pull requests and launching open source projects. His first book is called The Software Engineer's Guide to Freelance Consulting and teaches developers about breaking into the world of freelance consulting. He lives in Manhattan, where he enjoys playing basketball and meeting new and diverse people. He encourages you to ping him if you'd like to meet. Hey, everyone. Great to be back on the show. Bijan Will, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here, as always. I uh, really look forward to digging into the meat of this conversation. I think it's going to be really juicy because I got to say, this concept of 10x developer has been around since the 1970s. And it offended people then, and it offends people now. And I don't like offending people, but, you know, I think people need to wake up and realize that there are differences in skill, like any profession. There's differences in basketball between, say, LeBron James and your little nephew trying out for the school team. There's differences in programming ability as well. So before we jump into it, I just want to talk a little bit about your company, Code for Cash. Yeah, absolutely. So it started off as a company to manage freelance consulting efforts. I wrote this book called The Software Engineer's Guide to Freelance Consulting. I was on the podcast a few years ago to talk about the book and freelance consulting. I built this community of developers, and we managed to pivot into recruiting. I was marketing the consulting firm. Someone said, hey, I bet you could help with a full-time placement. I was like, hmm, well, that's really hard, but I'll give it a shot. And I got lucky. My first one was really lucky. I made it in three days just based on my network. And then over the, I guess, past year and a half, I've been building this recruitment agency where the theme is programmers recruiting programmers. So if you've ever dealt with a recruiter who's like, do you know Java? you know, is hiring for a JavaScript role. <laughs> for example, that's like the obvious one that people like to harp on. 
But, you know, there's so many other little nuances. And a lot of the hard part of recruiting is like data entry and cold calling or whether it's cold emailing or cold LinkedIn messaging. And that part is still a challenge and a bit of a numbers game, frankly. But we target people. We know on paper, heuristically, whether they have the skills to like at least be a fit on paper. And then it goes back to the point you mentioned earlier. It's all about personality. It's about whether this person has the personality to gel with the team. And we're not like, you know, a pseudo social scientist there quite yet. We run largely on intuition for surfacing, you know, someone who's a fit, but I have a lot to say on the topic and I am always on the prowl for 10x developers. And one of the biggest beefs I had with this notion of 10x developers and variances in developer productivity is that the best developers aren't always compensated 10x. Someone could be a great developer, 10x, not be a jerk, actually be 10x in productivity contributions. And then they're making like maybe 50% more than, you know, the worst performer on the team. That's just not cool. But something I'm going to tease here is that I have a really high paying opportunity, a bunch of opportunities to share with the audience here for developers that really rise to the occasion and implement 10x solutions. And I guess we should talk about that a bit later in the show. We're going to talk about that towards the end of the show. We got something really awesome to put out for you guys that are 10X developers or are working to become 10X developers. Before we get into that, though, we're going to talk about what it is to be one and how you can work towards that. So on that, we've talked kind of around this, but just starting out, how do you define a 10X developer? Like, what do you look for in a 10X developer? What does it mean to be 10X? I think the start is just knowing what you don't know. I think the difference between extremely productive developers and less productive developers is that the more productive developers just have a map of the territory. They understand what's going on when they're doing something. It's not just like copy and paste and see if it works. I mean, maybe there's some of that, but I think they also have like a real mental model of like what's going on at every layer of the stack. And when they, you know, make a change, it's like with surgical precision. They know exactly what they're doing because it's all been planned in advance because it fits into the mental model and it just kind of works. I mean, that doesn't mean that they don't, you know, cut corners or, you know, are sloppy with test coverage. That's a whole separate discussion, whether they feel like their knowledge and like supreme ability gives them some sort of license to be a jerk. That's a whole separate conversation. I'm not here to hire jerks. I'm not here to meet jerks. They can go back to the jerk store for all I care. I think it's interesting. And, you know, Will might have some thoughts on this too, that you mentioned the knowing what you don't know. Because just recently I was talking to some friends and explaining to them because they didn't know about uh, Dunning-Kruger. And so I helped them get out of the Dunning-Kruger club by uh, explaining to them what uh, Dunning-Kruger is not knowing what you don't know. Would that be like third level where you don't know that there's a thing such as not knowing what you don't know? Probably. It sounds right. Yeah. The textbook term is uh, unconscious incompetence. Then it's like conscious incompetence. Then it's conscious competence. Then it's unconscious incompetence. Like when you're just doing it without having to think about it. And I'd say that conscious incompetence is actually the second level. So it's actually, there's so much stuff to learn in programming. I mean, front end alone is changing every year. The state of the art in front end is changing. But there are new developments in deployment, in DevOps, in backend technologies, in new programming languages, in new computing paradigms, you know, like VR and AR. It's impossible to know everything and be proficient at everything. But it is possible to have a mental model of pretty much the state of the art in your area, in whatever area that you specialize in. And I think that a lot of people see 10x developers as being T-shaped in that they have a wide knowledge of like almost everything and they know what they don't know in a lot of areas, but in one special niche, they know everything. They know that framework in and out, back and forwards, you know? 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the other thing too, you know, we talked about the whole jerk thing. One of the things that I've seen with really productive developers is they also know how their decisions are going to impact the team. And so you don't say, well, this is the best framework for this thing. And I'm going to roll this into this project when nobody else on the team can do it. It's not just that they are necessarily themselves more productive, but they also make it so the rest of the team can be effective as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because like good social skills make it a lot easier to be a 10x developer. Because I mean, if you're doing it just based on pure coding, like the only scaling factors you have are your knowledge and your typing speed. And those are both limited. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that if you want to get anything done, it's going to require a group of people. Pretty much any major project is the product of collaboration and communication. And the better one is at communicating, the more one enables and empowers the team members to rise up. If it's anything like, you know, documentation is a form of communication. I find that great 10x developers specialize in producing wonderful documentation, whereas bad developers often reject documentation. And I think part of that is due to wanting to keep some job security going, you know? If they keep the bust factor low, you know, then they become a valuable commodity and then start introducing more of those like jerk behaviors because, you know, you have to put up with it if you want, you know, the trains to run on time. Well, I do have a counter to this because I did work with a developer who spent more time writing comments than he did writing code. There's a difference between comments and documentation, though. Yeah, that's what I was getting at is that. A 10x developer is someone who documents their code. And this guy had very detailed, but like he would have a DTO, a data transfer object, and he'd have every single thing in there documented out to the T. And I'm like, you don't need that much in here. Yeah. It was overkill. Now, I will say going through his code, because after he left, I had to go in and uh, finish the project he was on. I actually learned a few things about documenting that made my documentation better, but he was so much in the documentation that he wasn't getting things done. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing too, maybe that needs to be in the mix here in the discussion is a lot of developers, everybody wants to be a 10x developer, especially if you can get paid at least, you know, 2x, you know, what everybody else does. But one of the things is to understand why you're doing some of the things you're doing. And so like, you know, the overdone commenting or using design patterns when they don't apply or unnecessarily complicating your code. If you understand the difference between doing something because it is necessary to get it done and doing it because the book said that you should do it this way, I think that goes a long way as well. I don't know that that makes them a 10x, but at least makes it where they don't make other people hate them. You know, when we were planning this episode, I don't remember which one of you guys said it, but you said that 10x starts with a perspective shift that the code is a tool to drive the results and not vice versa. Right. So, you know, there's this common saying, like, more senior you are, you can explain the why, not just the how you know why you're working on what you're doing. And having this mental model of how the business works or how the system works or how the team works then you know why to do things and you're not just like sort of flailing or copying, you know, what everyone else is doing. Your actions have purpose. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think the other thing too, is there's a bit of a technology fetish in this industry. That's like, Oh, I've got to use the newest, coolest thing. Right. And That's cool and all, but I've got a buddy that's got a 200,000 line BB5 app that's been running since I was in college and he makes bank on it. He doesn't care about Angular at all. Well, that goes to something we've said before. I've told the story a couple of times on the show, but you and I were consulting with someone and the business guy had heard about some feature in Angular 2 and brought us in to help his team transition from 1.5 to Angular 2, this was back in the day. And we came in and looked at it and we're just like, yeah, man, to do this, you're pretty much going to have to rewrite the whole app. And we found out what he actually wanted. And we're like, (laughs) you can do this in Angular 1.5. You just have to (sighs) 
add these components and like put these things in place to do that. It's just not built into it. But I think that's one of those things that the 10 X developer isn't looking to like Will was saying, move into the newest and the greatest technology. They're looking to solve the problem. Bingo. Right. What solves the problem the most efficient way. So yes, if you were starting from scratch, the newest thing that has it built in probably would be. So at that point, if we were starting from scratch with them, Angular 2 app would have been the way to go. But because they had the almost the entire thing built and they were just adding features at this point, dealing with bugs and testing, it made no sense to move to Angular 2 when they had all this other stuff built. So it was, all right, how do we get this functionality that you want with what you already have? Right. That's that perspective shift of, all right, doing the latest, greatest, the newest, coolest thing to solve the problem. What does it take to get you to where you want to go? And I will tell you, it is really funny when people who have been dealing with a developer that doesn't think that way suddenly have someone come in from the development team and go, all right, what is it that you are trying to do with this? Okay, now let's work from there with what we've got to get you to that point. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea of like you control a machine. That's what our job is. And what are machines? They are devices that make it where you have to exert less force to get a result. Leverage. Yeah. So given all that, do we want to talk about the Twitter thread about 10x (laughs) developers? Yeah, we've kind of hit on some of the things that came up in that. But uh, jumping to that, um, I was not paying attention during that time. So you guys tell me about it. I paid attention just long enough to go, it's here again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like election season. It just shows back up and everybody's like, oh, man. And it seems like it's there for longer every time. (laughs) I don't know. I know that people got offended. You know, Twitter is really good for uh, social justice and outrage. People love to get outraged on Twitter. It's a pastime for some people. And uh, a lot of people are very offended by the notion that a 10x developer could exist. And there's this counter-movement reactions where they're like, I'm proudly a 1x developer. I Google how to do functions, and I don't know how to use my editor, but I show up every day with a smile on my face, and my team loves me. And that's great, you know? I'm not saying that everyone has to be a 10x developer, but I'm saying that there are variances in productivity. Fred Books wrote about it. In the Mythical Man Month, uh, Timothy Lister and DeMarco wrote about it in Peopleware. And something really special happens when you have a group of 10x developers building things. You can have three 10x developers can build something that 100 1x developers never could. It changes what's possible. My question on this, and I realize it would be interesting to have someone to counter your point with the proud 1x developer. But my question to them would be, okay, that's good. Being a 1x developer, someone who comes in is productive and does work, may not know all the things, and that is good. That's great. But are you moving up? Are you working to be better? Are you working to be more productive? Because if you're a junior developer, mid-level, even if you're a senior developer and you're 1x, but you are working towards something, if you are working towards being more than that, then yeah, be proud to be a 1X developer. If you are proud that you're a 1X developer and I'm not going to learn this, I'm not going to learn to do better, I'm not going to learn to be more productive because this is good enough. Then software maintenance (laughs) is for you. Yeah, I have a problem with that because I want people who are hungry, who are looking to grow working with me. Well, and they can't survive if they don't grow. The other thing too is people are like, oh, I'm proud to be a 1X developer. There's an awful lot of people that think that they're 1X or 2X or even 10X, and they're actually minus 1, minus 2, or minus 10. Right. Yeah. I think that came up in the Twitter thread, too. Minus 1 in one company could be plus 1 in another company, you know, depending on the culture. And Like I said, I did not follow the Twitter thread, so I don't know exactly what was said. I do kind of see, like I said, if you got that, I am here and I'm moving forward, that is great. And if it's a matter of people coming at me and I don't say being proud of being a 10x developer, but being arrogant and boastful about it, especially people that may not be 10x developers or they may be 10x compared to the people they're around, but you put them in a different environment and they're not. 
and they think they are, I would have issue with that too. Let me say this. You should never want to call yourself a 10x developer. You know, I don't think that's something people should aspire to. You know, then you're setting yourself up for a fall. Someone's going to want to take you out. <laughs> the developer community is yeah. so ruthlessly competitive about shaming people for technical mistakes. I don't think it's advisable. But I'm sorry to rewind, but to touch on a point you said, Beach, earlier, I really think that a lot of the 10x developers, and can I, let me just name some names. James Halliday, he goes by the name Substack. 10x developer, extremely prolific contributor to the Node.js community. You got this guy, Fabrice Billard, who wrote, have you seen his work? He wrote an implementation of a Linux kernel in JavaScript. He wrote FFmpeg, a tool we all use. Okay. Okay. 10x, right? If you look at these people, they all started somewhere. You know, maybe they're like a little bit like smarter in that they have like a little bit better memory. But if you talk to these people a little bit, they're like, you know what? No, I started as a noob, but I love programming. So I just got really good at it by like really aggressively looking at my weaknesses and working on them proactively by saying, okay, you know what? I don't know this, so I better dive into it and learn it because otherwise my ignorance is going to be my downfall. Yeah, I like that attitude. I remember after I got my first job after apprenticing with Will, I was told by one of my coworkers that my boss, my manager, came out of the interview excited because of we basically sat in there and geeked out about programming and podcasting and stuff like that. But he was excited because of my excitement. And I tell that to people, especially juniors going out for that first job, because that's one of the most challenging, difficult things because you get a lot of rejection, a lot of People saying they want a junior developer when what they really want is a mid to senior that they can pay as a junior. Or boss around, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you get a lot of, it's hard. The first job is really difficult. And so I tell people, I was like, you go in excited. They're going to look at you and go, all right, this person may not know all the things because we're hiring for someone that doesn't. We're hiring a junior, but they're going to learn because they're excited about it, because they love it. And you can't fake that very well. Yeah, I would also say the 10x developer, at least at the senior level, is somebody that didn't lose that. Mm -hmm. And that's really probably the extent of it. Like, if you're hyper excited over the Star Wars universe, right, you can have technical discussions about how many terajoules of energy came out of a Star Destroyer's blasters based off of how fast it vaporized an asteroid in Empire Strikes Back. Like, I know people like this, <laughs> right? And they just were, like, locked into that one thing, and they've just been in it. Will says he knows people, but he is people. Okay, I was in that argument, but look. <laughs> <laughs> that was high school. It was a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, when somebody is really into something, it makes a difference, especially over a long period of time. If you're just constantly putting in the work, you'll get a long ways and you'll get a lot further than somebody who isn't regardless of where you started. To that point, when you do all that work and you put in the effort, there's like a sort of humility that you earn because like development is really hard. You know, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to spend hours debugging things. And, you know, there's a journey of self-discovery in there too. But, you know, people love working with developers who are great, but aren't entitled. They're just good humans to have around in your life. Yeah, that is very true. I have a coworker. He's been doing this longer than uh, Will has. Like, he was in a full time job back when we were in high school, like out of college stuff, and loves it. Like, he is so passionate about getting to learn .NET Core, even though he's told me he's preparing for retirement in the twilight of his career. But we're moving to .NET Core, and he is so excited about getting to do that. And I tell people, I'm like, when I've been doing this that long, I want to get that excited about things. Because right now, I'm still very new. And so me getting excited about something is no big surprise. People that know me personally, me getting excited about anything is no big surprise because I really just, you know, I like life. That's your default state. Yeah, it is. It really is. But I want to be that way about development when I get to his stage in my career. 
where I may be doing this for a couple of years and then I'm going to retire. But it is so cool that I'm getting to do this new neat stuff. And oh, wow, it does this. Like it is so fun working with him. Like everybody likes working with him when he's focused. (laughs) Yeah. I love the guy, but he's even more scatterbrained than me sometimes. And it's awesome. This makes me think of a point. And it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with coding for a paycheck. There are 10x developers who code for a paycheck. But if you come in with the attitude like, okay, I'm going to like go take, what is it, Udemy, Udemy class, and I'm going to learn JavaScript, I'm going to learn React, and I'm going to go get a six-figure job, and then I'm on Easy Street. It's like you're in for a rude awakening because your skills are going to age you out of, you know, relevance in about five years. Your skills are going to go stale. It doesn't mean you have to spend all your free time learning new programming paradigms, but you know, five years of deliberate practice is a lot different than five years of spending this doing the same thing over and over. If you want to grow and you want to be a 10x developer and you want to earn three, it's about a three x as much money if you're like really good. But if you want to do that, you have to be aggressively adding more technical responsibility to your plate and working on new things, not just doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, I know that most development is honestly just create, read, update, delete apps. And that's not to say that you should make it more complicated than it needs to be just as an excuse to flex your skills. But there's almost always ways to add value, even in create, read, update, delete apps, whether it's with deployment architecture, whether it's a caching layer, you know, optimizing some part of the stack, you know, figuring out something in the end-to-end request lifecycle that you don't know and learning about it and teaching it or just improving the documentation of the code base, adding more tests. There's always something you can do to add value and improve your skills as a developer. I like that you're hitting on skills. And a little earlier we talked about you know people that are just naturally more intelligent, have better memory. How much of being a 10x developer would you guys say is talent versus a developed skill? I would say it's like 99.999999% developed skill. Yeah, like I would agree with that. If you look at these competitive programmers, okay, what do you say? Like, you know how there's algo competitions? You know there's leak code? And if you want to work at Facebook and make a bunch of money at Facebook, you better get good at medium-level leak code. Fact. You look at the people who's really good at these competitive algo puzzles, and the truth is they just spend a lot of time practicing competitive programming. They figure out what they're bad at, and they just do it over and over again, and they repeat the skill. Programming is like, look, we get these offices sometimes, we get you know button-down shirts, but it's kind of a blue-collar profession, right? Yeah. It's very like a manual skill, because you're doing typing, and you're editing, and it's like, yeah, it's digital, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of muscle memory involved, and the only way to develop muscle memory is to do it a lot. You know, It's like when you get to the advanced levels of math, when you're in like high school math and if you're smart, you're going to like know the answer to a lot of stuff. Showing your work is going to be kind of a nuisance. I don't know if this is resonating with you guys at all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. I remember when it switched over to show your work and I was mad. <laughs> I hated show your work. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Like in my head. Right. It's like obvious. <laughs> but like it's when you get to like a little bit of higher level of mathematics, like abstract algebra, real analysis, discrete structure. It's going to require a little bit of work. And, you know, it's that putting in work that separates the people who are really great from the people who are like, have plenty of talent, but like nothing to show for it. And I think that it's really about just muscle memory. There's no way that you're going to like go from zero to great programmer immediately. Peter Norvig, the famous data scientist at Google, has this article called Teach Yourself Programming in 10 Years. And that's optimistic, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you know what? It's interesting because I think about learning to play the guitar is something that I've always wanted to do, but always thought I would never be able to because I didn't have the talent for it. Did not see it as a skill until I got into programming. And I have a little bit of talent for understanding computers, but talent doesn't really take you very far without working on that skill. It might start you at a little bit further down the line, but I look at some of my favorite guitar players. Slash is one of my absolute favorite guitarists from Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver. Actually getting to go see Guns N' Roses in October. So uh, actually about a month after this episode comes out, I will be 
at a music fest and they're the headliner for the day I'm going, which is going to be awesome. Anyways, back to what I was saying. He has a lot of talent, but would not be a guitar player without spending thousands upon thousands of hours practicing. You know, when I was younger, when I was like in high school, I had this conception that people were either athletic or they weren't. Yes. I put people like, yeah. oh, you're athletic, you're not. Do you know what I mean? I, I love people. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm not athletic, so I might as well not even try. You know, focus on other things. And then I got a little bit older and I realized, you know what? I put in like a little bit of time practicing basketball and suddenly I'm like much better than all the athletic people that I had, you know, said I could never be at that level because an ounce of practice at like your weak points just goes a long way and propels you forward. I think like it's complete Mm -hmm. horse hockey that, you know, people are either, you know, smart and talented, capable of being great programmers. Like the counter argument to this is, okay, yeah, but you see there are like these 19 year old programming prodigies that are like shipping all these open source, you know, things How's that even possible? But if you look closely at these people's histories, they started at a really young age. They put in a lot, a lot of hours. And usually, not always, but usually they had like a peer network that like their parents were professors of like computer science or their family friends were engineers. And they had access to mentors at a young age so that when they were practicing, they were working on their weak points and getting better at it rather than just, you know, Mm -hmm. flailing aimlessly as we're wont to do, you know? So you're kind of hitting it. The next thing I wanted to talk about with this, and that is the reason I brought up the talent versus skill is because I wanted to talk about how do you build that skill to become a 10X developer? I would say build a network of mentors. Get people around you who are where you want to be. I've got people that I can ask questions of, you know, including some junior devs that are just really good at certain tech that I don't know. And I can send them an email and go, hey, how does this actually work? Because it's not working for me. I did that the other day. And if you have that kind of stuff, you can get a bunch of other people's perspective and you don't sit there and flail and waste time. Because it's really about optimizing your learning and getting quick feedback and being able to act on it. This is something I've learned with language learning. I'm taking classes and I was taught that younger people learn faster than older people. And really what it is, is they have more time to practice or they have to practice because otherwise they can't say, mommy, I'm hungry. And they are also comfortable with failing and getting that feedback versus older people. They're like, oh, I don't want to step on my own feet trying to talk in a foreign language to somebody because they might get mad if I say the wrong thing. And it's exactly like that. I will completely agree with you on that because learning photography like one of the greatest compliments I've ever received in my life came from my photography instructor. But she said the reason she took me on because she normally starts with people in like middle school and high school. And she's like, the reason she took me on as an adult that's actually older than her is because I am teachable. Yeah. Speaking of the photography thing, there was a study, there was some professor and I'm trying to remember how he set this up, but it was basically like he said, left half of the classroom your entire grade is based off of how many pictures you take. And the right half of the classroom, your entire grade is based off of the best picture you take. And what was interesting is the growth curve of the people that were on the left-hand side that you know had to take a bunch of pictures, they took better pictures than the people on the right-hand side because they just took a crap ton of them. And they got the practice and they experimented and they got quick feedback and they learned versus the others who talked theory and didn't do. Yeah, that's another thing that I really love about the way I'm being taught is she just threw me into it. Of course, Will, you know from experience, that's the best way to teach me. But she didn't know that. That's just the way she teaches because she said, I'm not going to know where you are until I see what you produce. And then we can go from there. She's like, I don't know if you even have any ability whatsoever to take photos until I see what you can take. Yeah, and where the problems are. So when last night before church, we were sitting talking and she was telling me going through, she's like, I loved it. She started off with, what did you think about the photos you took? What did you think was good? What did you think was bad? And then she talked to me. She's like, all right, here's where you did good. Here's where you need improvement. And a lot of the stuff, it was so awesome. A lot of the stuff that she said, here's where you need improvement led into, and I love the fact that led into a story because she's quieter introvert. So getting her to tell stories is awesome. But uh 
led into, I had this problem when I first started out and here's what I did to work on it and here's what you can do and stuff like that. And it was all like, I have learned since I got into coding and because you have a lot of fail and repeat, fail and repeat, fail and repeat until you get it right, that having the attitude of, I come in and say, all right, what did I do wrong? Because that's where I can improve. Yeah, and I think the other thing too is she asked you what you thought about. So it wasn't just, hey, here's what you did wrong, but are your perceptions of your own position accurate? Right, that's really good. And that applies back to a lot of what we talked about with people thinking they are better than they actually are, like the Dunning-Kruger effect and everything. But having those mentors like you were talking about for your coding and your programming will help you see where you are. And one of the great things about having people that are junior to you is that it will help you see if your code is actually legible and understandable. Yes. Because you could show your code to someone who is well above you and they're going to look at it like, oh yeah, that's simple stuff. But the people maintaining it are going to be at your level or maybe a little above, a little below, just right around there. And so if someone below you can look at it and go, wow, that's really neat. I wouldn't have thought to do that, but I see what you're doing there, which I think I've said to you like almost verbatim before when you showed me stuff. But uh, if they can say that to you, then you know, yeah, my code is legible. They can understand it and it works. So there's a lot to having that feedback on both sides and having people to help you learn where your problems are, uncover your limitations. Knowing what you don't know is more than half the battle because then it's no longer you know enough to be dangerous then you know enough not to be dangerous you're less likely to set everything on fire because you can reach out for help when you realize that you're in an area where you're not strong and a lot of being senior and being 10x is about having that intellectual humility of knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and knowing your weaknesses and being secure in your strengths that you can ask for help with your weaknesses Yeah, I mean, you allow specialization in your team. I mean, that's why we have human civilization right now is because people stopped being generalists and started being specialists. And that improved the entire thing. I mean, we're not running around with sharp sticks chasing animals because people said, hey, you know, I'm not so good at that. So why don't we let this guy do it? And I'm going to be over here doing something else. I would say another thing uh, your comment made me think of is also work on your strengths. This is just something I've noticed in myself in the areas where I am very much a student of guitar and photography. When one of my mentors, my teachers tells me that I did good in a certain area, that makes me want to do that more. It makes me want to grow in that area because I'm like, hey, I'm good here. In the areas that I'm not as good, I want to go like learn the basics there and work up. But the areas that I'm good that I'm told, hey, one of the things photography wise, I'm coming back to it because it's just fresh on my mind, is composition and doing creative things with composition, like framing within the frame and stuff like that. I was told, hey, you've got an eye for this. So guess what? I went and I got a bit creative. Actually, that's one thing she told me. She's like, you went a little overboard. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine you doing that. Yeah. But she's like, I'm actually proud of you because not a lot of people would go and work on a strength. And I know it's a little bit of humble bragging. I'm not trying to do that, but using it as an example of even if someone says, hey, you're good in this area, that doesn't mean stop growing there. That means, hey, take it to the next level. There's so many ways to do that with programming. You know, reading the documentation end to end for whatever, you know, your great area is contributing something, you know, fixing a bug, responding to a pull request, you know, improving the documentation hosting a YouTube video, a podcast, teaching other people how to do it. There's a lot to be done there. And I think that any 10X developer is going to be like 100X in one specific area. And going back to your point, it's all about like putting in the hours. You've got to love it. And if you don't love it, you're not going to put in the hours. So you need to like love it or like maybe you really want to build an app for your business. Maybe you really want to provide for your family. And whatever that motivation is, you have to love it and you have to just dig into it and just get really good at it. 
So I guess the, in short, you're saying that a 10x developer knows why they're there. A hundred percent. Move was with yeah. purpose. Moves with intent, especially in code. Yeah. You can see the code is like elegant. It looks beautiful. And it's every line has purpose. Yeah, you know, it takes a couple passes to build something really elegant. I don't think that any developer does everything flawlessly on the first go. You know, that brings me to another point. I think good programmers do a lot of editing and rewriting of their code, and they're not necessarily satisfied with the first thing that comes to mind. Right. I would agree with that. And besides, if a developer did everything perfect on the first shot, we'd know about it. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let's be honest here, because they tell us. So we've talked about kind of the coding and the development skills. What about some of the skills around that, your meta skills? Sure. Well, there's the theory. You've got to know the fundamentals of CS theory if you want to be great. It's a must-have, a must-do. That doesn't mean learn to invert a tree on a whiteboard using JavaScript. That doesn't necessarily mean that. But knowing what a tree is and why it's valuable and having like a mental model of how long certain data structures take really adds up in the long run. Developing communication skills is a huge one because then you can learn more, more people take interest in your work. It's really a big thing. Yeah, I think on the communication skills, I think that's very important because what we were talking about earlier, this is about being more productive. And you need those communication skills to be able to understand what productive means to the people you're building for. 100%. Just being able to communicate with people and just let them know that you know what they want you to know and have a mental model of what they want. And speaking to that gives them confidence that when you understand and you say what they want, then they believe that you are credible enough to get it done. You know, I also want to talk about industry knowledge. There's a saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And you know what? It really matters. We're social animals, we're humans. It's really valuable to have a network of people in the industry who uh, can vouch for you. Because the way this industry works, people do back-channel reference checks all the time. I don't do it. And as far as I know, none of my clients do it. But I hear stories all the time. It's, yeah, I asked a random person who you know used to work with him on LinkedIn. And you know I went off their opinion. And since it wasn't great, I decided not to hire them. I agree with you on this. We hired a contractor. I remember interviewing him, and one of his references from the company he had just been at was actually one of Will's mentors that I had met. So he was a grand mentor of mine. And since he listed him as a rep, he also mentored some of my mentors as well. Yeah. I've met him at conferences and know him. So, like, I reached out and said, Hey, you know, we've got this guy that you've worked with applying for this position. And he gave him just a glowing review. And so we ended up hiring the guy, and it was a great decision. He's been a huge asset to our team. And a lot of that came from, hey, someone that I trusted gave him a positive review. And so building that network is very good. Absolutely. Well, like, for instance, during this job search, you know, I pinged Zach on LinkedIn. And just kind of, you know, checking in with everybody and seeing, you know, how people were doing. Just being able to do that on your network with people that are doing interesting things, surprising things come out of that, <laughs> like jobs, for instance. Well, I'm happy I was able to help you out. And it sounds like we're saying like, oh, you need to like communicate well, you need to get along with people and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because if you don't, you're going to screw yourself over. And it sounds like for someone who may not be like the most social or maybe, you know, you know, a bit challenged in that way, it sounds kind of daunting. But the thing is, we have a really good natural rapport. We have a lot in common. It's easy. I don't really think about it. And in general, your best network connections are either people like, you know, distantly, who like a friend of a friend who's like randomly there to help you, or just people who you just like naturally get along with without having to make effort. I think that just focusing on finding a peer group where you know, you can just sort of be yourself goes a long way. So guys, whether you are a 1x, 5x, or 10x developer, there's always room for you to improve your productivity. By defining what a developer that produces 10 times their coworkers can do, you can see where you should aim to be. 
the tips here, the conversation that we've had are to help you become the best, most productive developer that you can be. Zach, we want to thank you for coming on the show and discussing these topics with us. And we mentioned earlier that you have an opportunity for a 10x developer or for those that are becoming 10x. Could you give us a little bit more information about that? Absolutely. I'd love to. So I'm working with this company and there are about 50 people and they're in New York City and they want to double in size. They're a Series E stage, which means that they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars. But the neat thing about this startup is they're actually profitable. So they're at scale and they're profitable. Like a big database would be like petabytes or terabytes for them. So they use the .NET stack. They are looking for web developers, backend developers, people for the paid search team, people for the payments team, and DBAs. And, you know, the salaries are like 100K for fresh grads and 300K plus for team leads. So it's real money. And it's in New York City, but they're happy to relocate you to New York City. And their guiding philosophy is, you want to change something? Go ahead. But there should be a 10x improvement to justify the migration. Anyway... They're looking to hire junior developers, right? And they realize that, I mean, they're looking to hire seniors too, and happy to talk to anyone about that. But they're hiring juniors, and they're looking for juniors who have potential. It's all about potential. So how do they look for potential in a junior developer? They want to see people who've been just ambitious in taking on technical responsibility. They want to see people who know what they don't know. They want to see people who think critically about the business, even as a junior. You know, they want people to know, okay, you're working on this. Yeah, you might not know all the APIs. You may not know the ins and outs of our whole system. But are you thinking critically about the impact that your work is having on the business? And they're just looking for people to take start to finish ownership. You know, and even as a junior, you should have a track record of taking start to finish ownership of something, whether it was like a hobby project. You know, something you built. They want people who just ship, ship, ship because they're cool with hiring people who leave code at work and have a life outside of work, but they want people to be focused when they're at the office. And there's a forum on the Complete Developer Podcast website where you can submit your info and I'd be happy to have a chat and tell you more about the opportunity. The company has like PR on lockdown, so I can't name it on the podcast, but if you just ping me, I'm happy to send you full details. Guys, there will be a link in the show notes for this episode and in the menu on the front page of the website for that form where you can give Zach your information and he can get in touch with you and move from there. Guys, that pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to reiterate the whole network thing and point out that it's also really valuable to make sure that you don't burn bridges when you leave somewhere. Like I have contract work potentially, you know, coming up, you know, hopefully not super soon, but I think it's definitely coming with a guy that I did work for when I was in college and I did work for him again, a little bit after college. And I did it again, a couple of years after that. If you maintain your relationships and you don't burn bridges, even if things are difficult, you know, it eventually snowballs to the point where you're okay. And it's not as much of a worry when you, you know, end up having to go through a job transition for whatever reason. You know, you've got people and it'll be fine. Like this time, you know, searching for jobs, I did it for an hour a day while I was out. And I made sure that I timed it. And when that hour was up, I stopped. I didn't stress out and do it, you know, all day, every day. And I tell you what, it was a lot better this time. And the value of the network that I have constructed and the ability to work well with people that I've worked with before has really, really saved my hiding. So just want to throw that out there as being super valuable. Make sure you do that. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. 
For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.